Todd, Steve, Ash, what are you guys doing hiding? And why are you holding bananas? Are you guys doing a From Dust Till Dawn parody? Do you guys want to see From Dust Till Dawn instead? What do you think? Whatever. Just don't get any banana on the floor. The YMM, FMA, and YMM podcast presents From Dusk Till Dawn. Featuring the worldwide premiere of Hyperphotonic Media's cover. Do you have what it takes to survive another film fear? Film fear. October 26, 2013 at the Keanu Recital Theater. Check out our parody, youtube.com slash ymmpodcast. All details about the event at ymmfma.com or ymmpodcast.com. The YMM FMA is making some sexy videos, and we want one of them to be yours. That's right, we're looking for six. Sexy ideas, that is. The YMM FMA is holding a contest to promote safe sex. So what kind of sexy ideas are we looking for specifically? It could be anything, as long as they're short. Sexy, of course. Relate to work at site in some way. Promote safe sex practices. And are acceptable to view by a YouTube audience. The winning idea will receive $1,000 just for the pitch. So be sure to submit your sexy ideas today. Submission forms can be found at all the YMM FMA social media links. And the winning pitch will be announced at the end of October. Come and be sexy with us. Come and be sexy with us. Sexy. Sexy. Due to a shitload of swearing and some graphic conversations, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Fort Mac. Welcome to the YMM Podcast, and I'm Toddsky. Uh, doing a quick intro to what we got in store for you guys on this week's show. Um, it's uh, our panel from this last weekend's Edmonton Expo. Um, over the weekend, we headed down to this great, great uh, con down in Edmonton. It's only in its second year, um, but it was just, it's well put together. It's, it's well organized. It's just a fun event. Uh, so Steve, Ash, Tito and myself, we went down, uh, we had the panel on Saturday, uh, but we also spent uh, a couple days at the con just filming a lot of cosplayers, uh, which is really cool. Um, we actually have a video up on our YouTube channel right now, uh, youtube.com slash podcast. Um, and you can see, 
uh, a bunch of cosplayers that uh, Tito and Steve took some amazing video of with. Uh, we also got Jessica Negri in there as well, giving us a, a cool pose, as well as Holly and Jessica from the Heroes of Cosplay. But everyone down there uh, in, that's doing cosplay is a hero of cosplay, and that's what we love so much about the title, because uh, it was really cool, the film. Uh, we got to see a lot of people, got to talk to a lot of people, uh, just a lot of the cosplayers. Uh, you'll see some amazingly cute Ewoks running through like the this little grassy knoll in front of the Expo Center, and uh, there's a family that had all of the Spider-Man villains, which was amazing. Uh, you'll see them in the video, so definitely check out the video. It's really, really cool. Uh, also coming up, we had some interviews uh, with some uh, celebrities as well. Uh, Steve and I got to talk to uh, a few people. Uh, Tito recorded it, so it's going to be up on our YouTube channel in the coming days. So definitely subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash YMM podcast. Um, but yeah, so... What you're going to hear this week is our panel, uh, fan films and filmmaking. Uh, basically, we talked all about Arkham Rising um, and just kind of went through it. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is the part that might get me in trouble. Uh, Edmonton Expo actually said we couldn't record our panel, uh, but I couldn't get details out of them if it was like a tech issue or a licensing issue. So either way, uh, I was trying to tell them I do a podcast. We were giving them free content. Uh, all we wanted in return was uh, to be able to record our panel uh, and put it up as a podcast because it was actually really fun and I want you guys to hear it. Um, they never did get back to me, so uh, we just ended up recording the panel ourselves. So the quality is good. Uh, you can you can hear everything. Uh, basically, we record from uh, our uh, voice recorder h4n device that was just on the on the table as we did the panel um, so as you can tell the the voice recorder was kind of right next to Tito and so Tito was the that came out the best and uh, Ashley and Steve were at the opposite end of the table uh, you can hear them you can make them out I cleaned up the audio but uh, yeah that's just why you'll hear the different uh, levels in recording um, our moderator was Abby uh, you'll hear him too uh, he was sitting right in the middle of us and it was awesome awesome time so you'll hear all five voices of us um for those of you out there that haven't checked it out yet uh arkhamrising.com go check out the, f the film then come on back listen to the panel and uh hear us talk all about it it was really fun uh we had packed house uh in the panel room there about 200 people uh thanks everyone that came out and checked it out uh, it was really cool, and uh, yeah, let's have a listen to the fan films and filmmaking panel at the Edmonton Expo 2013. Let's check it out. Thank you, everyone, for, co for coming. We are going to start right away. Um, so what Arkham Rising is, I can, guess I can let them explain, but I'll explain it poorly, and then they'll re-explain it better. Uh, it was a fan film based on The Dark Knight, um, and it features uh, Arkham prisoners that are being uh, released by Bane into uh, the general populace. And you see little Easter eggs from uh, different characters from the, Marvel, or from the DC universe. I won't spoil too, too much of anything. Uh, we have a presentation on it. They're going to go through it and talk about the process of making the film. And uh, once again, if you guys have any questions about how to do this, or technicals, or just you know story stuff, whatever it is, feel free to raise your hand, and we'll uh, we'll definitely jump on those questions. So, without further ado, I'm gonna let everyone introduce themselves. Starting on the left, um, my name is Tito Gillen. I was the writer and director for Arkham Rising. Uh, my name is Todsky. I was the producer, and I've also made a cameo as one of the characters you'll see. My name is Ashley Lawrenson, and I was kind of I was the prop master, and also did a lot of the costume and makeup. 
And I'm Steve, and uh, I got to uh, help out uh, with a little bit of a cameo role, as well as uh, a lot of the voice and audio work for the film. I guess we can sit there and explain it, but why don't we just watch it? You guys up for watching it? Let's, let's make some more. Let's make the Carl Urban panel feel like they're being left out. Are you guys ready to see some Batman movies this year? Take that, Carl Urban. That was for Pathfinder. What'd you guys say? Thank you. Good night, everybody. Uh, so yeah, it is a short story. You get a lot of good uh, sense and feel for really what Batman's known for, and that's his impressive rogues gallery. Uh, with Bane, uh, the character in Dark Knight uh, was more of a liberator, was someone that was trying to set the people free. And I think this uh, short film speaks really well to that, in a more literal sense of letting the actual Arkham Asylum inmates out. Uh, yeah. Well, the other thing is, uh, it was it was intended as a deleted scene. Uh, Steve, do you do you know the time marker on the Dark Knight Rises? Yeah, actually, I went to figure it out. We uh, we didn't uh, intended to actually have a moment in the film to fit it in, but then I watched Dark Knight Rises again, and I was like, right here is exactly where that needs to go. Uh, the idea was that we wanted to answer the biggest question that the internet had about the Dark Knight Rises, and that was what happened to the Joker. We all know that, uh, of course, Heath Ledger passed away, and. Um, Mr. Nolan decided that, you know, out of respect, he was just not even going to refer uh, to the Joker. So many people, different uh, interpretations of what happened. This was ours, and the idea uh, behind uh, uh, doing it this way. Um... Yeah, so, like, I mean, part of, part of it was uh, there was a, really, a real opportunity in the movie where, um, uh, for those of you, spoiler alert, I don't know. Who hasn't seen? I don't know why you're in this panel. If you haven't seen the movie. But um, essentially, uh, there in, in uh, the Dark Knight Rises, there is uh, the scene where Blackgate uh, gets liberated, and uh, Batman's he's he's in exile essentially. And wow. so this kind of is is the filling in the gap because we we were honestly well the the inception of the idea actually came after we watched the movie. We um, we went to the Denny's downtown at like two or three in the morning and just had this huge breakfast. And just started talking about the movie and how much we enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, yeah. And so from there, we just started talking about um, what. Well, Todd actually is the one that kind of came up with the idea initially because you were really bothered by the fact that they didn't even mention the Joker in the movie. I've always uh, Dark Knight. I absolutely love the Dark Knight, and I love the Joker character. I think Heath Ledger did an absolute amazing job. And unfortunately, with his death, we all know why he couldn't be in the Dark Knight Rises. But it just bugged me how they should have at least put something in there to bring conclusion to that character somehow. Yeah, he was such a strong character, such a powerful character, and he just was in jail. He got, he got thrown in jail at the end of, of The Dark Knight, so there should have been something. Well, we, we got into a big argument, actually, that morning, because I was actually... Of the, I didn't even want to make this movie to start off with, because I was of the mind, well, it's going to be disrespectful, it's, it's not a good idea, and then, you know, we started really toying with the... Uh, we were able to kind of, like, talk ourselves into the scenario of, well, if, you, if they were to do it, how would they go about it while still trying to show respect towards uh, the actor who played the role, right? And uh, basically, we came up with, well, they wouldn't show the actor who played the role. They, they try to keep it as minimalist as possible, and that way, you know, the, the, the audience kind of draws their own conclusion. And so from that idea, um, Todd kind of challenged me to write the script. And I, at first, I kind of did it to kind of get him off my back. <laughs> so I wrote the script, and I was like, okay, here. And he's like, okay, let's shoot. And I'm like, well, you can't. We need, we need a prison. 
And if we don't have a prison, we can't shoot it. So I, I was kind of like, yes, this is, this is my way out. If, if, he won't ever be able to get a prison to shoot this movie. So I kind of left it at that. And then, what was it, less than a month later, you, you call me on the phone. He's like, guess what I have? <laughs> uh, to answer the question that you had earlier, Tito, for where it fits in, we figured the logical leap was, was directly after the, the black prisoners are liberated, all those thousands of prisoners that are supposed to be in prison pretty much exclusively because of the Harvey Dent Act and because of the uh, you know, uh, events of the Dark Knight. And uh, it makes sense that he would then follow up to whatever's left of uh, Arkham Asylum after the events of the first movie where the Narrows were uh, affected by the fear talks and everything. And it's, it's funny because we've been asked, one of the big th things we've been asked is how do you make a Batman fan film and not have Batman in it? And it, it kind of lends itself to that uh, deleted scene aspect. He's over uh, across somewhere in the world in that prison in the sort of Lazarus pit. And so he's not able to stop this from happening and Bane gets a little bit more control. So it's while, um, it, it's directly after Batman's back is fixed by that guy in, the, in Dark Knight Rises that this fits in right before he has that vision of uh, Ra's al Ghul. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so from, from there, we kind of just started, well, you, call, you called me and you said, okay, I have a prison. And How did you get a prison? Well, we saw that. No, that is, Todd, do you want to kind of speak to that? Uh, I was one for cure prison. I feel like it should be full. <laughs> um, really simple way of answering it, but you ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just cured all the prisoners, and yeah, everyone step away. We got a film to fucking shoot. Well, it's it's funny because we were told that we could shoot in the prison as long as we never told anyone where it was. So, so it doesn't leave this room. So it's a prison in the northern region of Alberta that let us shoot, oh, yeah. but yeah. we can't tell you which one. Right. Yeah. But uh, out of a technicality, actually, we were able to shoot there because it just so happened that that cell block wasn't being occupied and they the, it was under the stipulation that if we bring in someone to be in the cell block you guys have to clear out and we were kind of well maybe we can use it <laughs> maybe if we bring someone in we can film i it. think uh i think the, the best message here is a lot of people would have been uh, and myself included on a few things would have been like okay that's way too hard to get we just got to move on ask you never harm in asking because you'd never be or you'll always be surprised by the answer so yeah so so then came kind of the logistics of the actual game plan of, of making a fan film not really we weren't really well I personally again like I was I was probably the biggest roadblock in making this movie <laughs> but uh, again uh, my, my uh, mentality to Todd was well we're gonna get in legal problems over making the movie and uh, basically after doing some research with YouTube and other fan films that have uh, gotten uh, a lot of notice, especially in uh, San Diego Comic Cons and stuff, uh, we were able to kind of come to the conclusion that all they really did is they disassociated themselves from the movie directly and uh, um, and basically put it out there and just said, this is a not-for-profit and, and we're not making money off of this, so what are we really going to get sued, etc. for, right? So we, we started working around that framework. You get sued and all of a sudden it becomes a, a media a media circus and then the film's going to get some kind of... Yeah, and we didn't really connect, apart from our names and the credits, we didn't really connect it to any of the other projects that we'd ever done like... Right, we, we didn't try to, uh, like, because we, we also do a podcast, and so what we ended up doing is we, we made its own website, we, we registered as its own domain, uh, own YouTube channel and stuff, to try to kind of disassociate any direct link to what we do outside of that to kind of say that, okay, well, we didn't use this to kind of garner fame in another way, right? So, the way studios are now, like, there's a lot of people making fan films, like, we are by no means the only ones to do one, they're, they're all over YouTube, and there's some really, really high quality ones. And we've even read. Uh, there's yeah, been lots of research. There's been articles yeah. like studios are now 
more so encouraging this fact, just as long as no one's making money off it, and that's the biggest thing. So we you make a fan film, we just know that it's it's all cost. And yeah, and we weren't making money off of anything before this, so we were just like, oh, why not? Like, I mean, really. It's true, but we figured that the benefit was that it, as long as we're not making money directly off of these films, it does help you garner yourself an audience for the ones that you do make that are original and that you can monetize. Yeah, so exactly. we, we were lucky that uh, uh, we started production on this around August, September, and that, yeah, and that became like the lead-in into Halloween. So as you can see the videos there, a lot of our costumes actually came from Halloween stores. And we, we and, and again, this comes back to the way we shot it. We tried to cheat a lot because we were trying to hide the fact that Bane's mask is just a rubber mask. It wasn't anything of real stuff. I think it would be solid. And, that is so flimsy. Yeah, and, 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 so one of the, uh, yeah, one and, of the and, things that we had that we struggled with was because we made we tried to make this so quickly after uh, Dark Knight Rises came out because we wanted to be the first ones to answer the question of what happened to the Joker. So we we, we didn't rush it in the sense that we rushed the production, but we did get the ball rolling right away. Yeah, and anecdotally, we also had, like, in the middle of the production, I guess someone had posted a comic on the internet, which was the outline of what we did, where it's, it shows yeah. Bane letting out the prisoners and then the Joker sitting in his cell and nobody lets him out at I the end. it was from a novelization what, was it a novelization? Or, well, it, it was posted somewhere on the internet, and immediately my reaction was like, okay, I quit. This, is, this isn't this is going to work, but we were so deep into it at that point. We had already kind of invested in all these Halloween costumes, and we had done some of the, the screen tests, and we are just like, well, we might as well just go for it now. And uh, so, so what we ended up doing is uh, we ended up shooting at the prison, and then another the, the other facility was a recreational facility in our community. And they were actually pretty cool about it, outside of us scaring that, that girl that was going to the gym. Oh, <laughs> a, good, a good story with that one, the scene at the very end where you see the prisoners escaping in front of the camera, and then you see our Bane walking down the steps in the background. Um, our Bane, I think there's actually a picture we're going to rotate through, you'll, you'll see him is... is I shall see if I can get it up here. There's Steve. There's me. Okay, now maybe we don't have it. Um, but our Bane looks horrible. Like, there's no way he could have been. Uh, yeah, it hands he had a ball cap on that didn't match. He had like, uh, he had military pants that were ten sizes too. The big. guy's lanky. Yeah. <laughs> so literally, we're trying to get that shot, and we're in a public facility. It's, a, it's our rec center up in Fort McMurray, and we're trying to, as best we can, just tell people, can you just give us two seconds? So this one girl, I'm, she's walking over, and I'm like, okay, can you just hold on a second? We're just shooting a, a quick scene. And she's like, oh, okay. And then she sees the Bane's mercenaries condemned before. She's just like, oh, wow, look at them. What is this, some kind of bomb threat? Yeah, and then yeah. Bane comes down, and she literally screeched, going, oh, my God. That's why I say I don't think we'll have film in there again. Yeah, so so it, so we, we, we kind of we, we did it in a, on a one day turnaround essentially, and uh, the, our only real pickup was that scene with uh, uh, the is it the microphone or was it the the keyboard too? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so what we ended up doing after that is it, we, I kind of went into dark mode in that I, I just like went into a cave and I just didn't come out for a couple of weeks because I was editing it. I don't think it was a couple of weeks. I don't think we saw you for like <laughs> at least a month. I was just mad at you guys. We only yeah. came out for actually. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, we went through the editing process and we originally used, uh, we were going to use up, uh, our placeholder music was actually the score to the Dark Knight Rises, uh, the actually the Basara Dishe uh, Hans Zimmer uh, score, and we were we were going over and over it, and we were, we're, our biggest concern was that YouTube was going to flag us for using the music. So what we ended up doing is again uh, we had done all this research on other fan films, and we reached out to a composer who had actually done a really good sound alike for um, I don't know if anyone here has seen uh, Batman Puppet Master. 
It's okay. Well, it's a, it's another Batman fan film, and it's it's about the Riddler taking uh, place in the Nolan universe. And so the score was done by uh, this guy. His name is Gerald Northern, and he just did a phenomenal job. So we reached out to him, and he, and he wanted he was willing to work with us. So we did that, and then uh, we also started looking at um, uh, more of the little subtle sound things. Uh, we went to Wolf Willow uh, Studios here in Edmonton, and they did uh, a complete sound mix for us on uh, on the soundtrack there. What did you guys think of the score? Pretty good score, right? Yeah. Like, you hear that chant? Yeah. That chant, he, uh, our composer, Gerald, actually went to his church in Atlanta, Georgia? Yeah. And actually got his full church to do this chant. Oh, awesome. uh, so we got a video of it that we're going to put on our YouTube channel. It's really, really cool. I forget yeah. what it translates to, but it's a Dutch chant. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, Dutch for uh, begin, to begin to rise. Begin yeah. to rise, yes, that's right. So, so, so begin to rise. The viral campaign. Oh yeah, yeah. So, after all that was said and done, our uh, the next step of what we did was we we kind of primed ourselves to start to release it for close to Halloween, right? October twenty sixth was it? Yeah, yeah, film fair. Yeah. We do this uh, film festival up in Fort McMurray called Film Fair every year. Well. well these guys started it and we just kind of us two kind of just jumped in afterwards but um, it's, it's a Halloween film festival where we show like one classic um, feature. feature like horror film and then we collect uh, horror films from like around the world and a few of them from local filmmakers and uh, so we were like well why don't we screen it there like that would work. Yeah, just, it, at first it was like, oh, five minutes to fill on the film festival thing, so we'll, we'll, we'll fill it that way. But we also started uh, uh, creating kind of like a media kit, and uh, for any of you guys that make movies here, essentially, uh, Without a Box is a really good resource for that. And what they do is they, uh, they give you kind of a template of of how to present your movie to film festivals with, you know, video clips, interviews, all that sort of stuff. And so we prepared a media kit that we were going to uh, both submit for film festivals and also try to reach out to internet media outlets like io9 and uh, Geek, Geek Tyrant, like all these all these stuff that, you know, like BuzzFeed and all that. And uh, so we, we kind of targeted everything for October the 26th and uh, kind of it, it worked out really well because it, it ended up being a really good launch. We, we got like uh, almost 40,000 on the first 24 hours and then the storm hit the east coast <laughs> yeah we uh, we blame hurricane what sandy yeah or hurricane knocked, sandy happened knocked our trajectory up but um even before we released it though even before the release we uh we decided that we wanted to be really clever with the fact that this is a fan film and the fact that we're not making any money on it we need to use everything that we create and buy for it to its maximum uh, potential yeah. and so you'll see on the screen here as we flip by a few of those photos of uh some of the the materials that we use a lot of those were just the props that we made for the movie scanned and then we decided to make a schedule of rolling those out as teasers and as kind of secret uh easter eggs on the arkham rising site without showing exactly what was going on yeah we had a countdown uh for like a month going on People had a peg that this was the next Rock City game, which we yeah. were fine with. So. <laughs> they were asking us if this was the third in the series. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty awesome, actually, because it was ArkhamRising.com, right? Yeah. yeah. And then we um, kind of looked into search terms that people were looking for, so that they'd go ArkhamRising.com slash Harley Quinn, ArkhamRising.com slash Batman, like, and they were trying to find like as many pages as they could about whatever this was that was coming out. And it was pretty hilarious because we did put out a couple of files under the actual thing. So we had like calendar man, and Which served to just frustrate people more, but at the yeah. same time, got their attention. Well, our only, uh, our only giveaway was that, it's funny because you and I had this conversation when you registered the website, it was like a $2 charge 
for the name registration name to be anonymous. Who is? And, uh, and Todd was nah. Well, no, no one's gonna check the registration. So sure enough, some people online were like, "Well, some guy named Todd Ski." So <laughs> it can't be worried about it. Hey, Todd Ski into Google, it's like, why am I podcast, filmmakers, like, all this stuff comes up, so. It works. It was pretty hilarious, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so uh, after, after the initial launch, we, we actually started really targeting um, film festivals, film festivals uh, uh, orientated towards fantasy films, as well as uh, uh, cons themselves. And that's one thing uh, for people like doing fan films, it's a lot of people just think, okay, put it up on YouTube. Do it for no money, and then hopefully you won't get sued, which you won't. Um, but a lot of people forget about there's film festivals out there that love showing this stuff, and it's exactly what the the, the people that go to these cons want to want to check out. Yeah, and for example, everyone here. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and we uh, we we really kind of we were really surprised because we started kind of meeting more of our. Uh, "Quote unquote peers in that like there was there was fan films some really really good found filmmakers oh, yeah. that were coming to us saying well how come you got in so many film festivals and we we basically just said well we we just applied we we kind of just threw it out there and they're like oh we I guess we didn't occur to people us. didn't realize it yeah just because it's fan film it's still something very much that you create something very much you can be proud of as and, a filmmaker and the way we looked at it was I mean if if you're making an original piece that's not a fan film or based on something else." You're technically not making money off of that either when you submit to to a film festival. So whether whether it's a fan film or uh, an original piece, really, you're you're kind of in the same standing. It was it was pretty crazy actually because I'm originally from New Zealand and it ended up playing down there at Armageddon, which is like a comic convention down there. And I had friends of mine who were like, "Man, have you seen this? I know you like Batman. Have you seen this Arkham Rising video?" And I'm like, "Dude, I'm making it in Canada." Like, <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, like, man." Was the fact that uh, San Diego Comic Con didn't accept it, and it was actually on the basis that San Diego Comic Con's film festival doesn't accept fan films, which was like it was really weird because uh, since Thomas Jane's Punisher, at least, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if some of you are aware, like Thomas Jane, who played Punisher in uh, was it the second Punisher movie? The first first one he played. Well, I count the '89 one as one. That really crappy. So uh, yeah, so um, he ended up making a Punisher fan film with uh, with uh, the director of Judge Dredd, the, the new Judge Dredd, and they they did it without Marvel's permission, and it, it ended up doing a festival run. But it's technically under the same terms of the fact that Marvel could have sued them if they had chosen to, yeah. right? So yeah, so at any rate, it was just really weird that San Diego didn't because they they flat out told us we don't take fan films so but uh, luckily we were able to still get into San Diego based on uh, the fact that Arkham Rising had an official IMDB page due to the fa- due to the fact that we got accepted to so many other film festivals so it really it goes a long way to do that submitting uh, not just for the uh, comic cons and the, and the film festivals and, and anything that you see that where something's being screened whether it's you know a big official event or, or you know you just kind of submit it to somebody's 
collection of getting together with friends or whatever, what have you. But a big thing that helped too was uh, to submit to those things like IMDB, those resources, get the information on there. And uh, and it, I mean, we we had a running gag because we got to all we all got to go to Comic Con this year uh, without paying for our badges. And we we kept saying we tricked them into thinking that we're professionals, <laughs> right? And, and that's all it is. Is you just need to make sure that you uh, look at all of those resources, the every website that you possibly can. Put in those those minutes, those hours, typing in the data entry. That's so boring. It goes a long, long way. Yeah. Well, Ro- Roberto Rodriguez once said that all it takes to be a professional is have a business card. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, you know, it, it also helped us within the community because uh, the no- the attention we were getting online actually um, uh, we were able to kind of approach our community and they gave us somewhat of, uh, of of not just funding but like kind of permission to do screenings for uh, the filmmakers association that we formed this year and and that was kind of like the anchor point because we had so many community leaders backing us because they were saying oh well these guys they know what they're doing they're they're they, they've been, they've been known around canada it was, and, yeah yeah it was that but it was also the fact that uh, arkham rising actually brought out a few people from film mcmurray that was into filmmaking they didn't realize that from uh, from mcmurray where hopefully everyone's familiar with it if not it's four hours north it's a bit of an isolated community um, it, it's people didn't realize that people did stuff like that there. People thought, okay, if I want to try to get a, a film shot, at, I got to come to Edmonton. That's where all the gear is. That's where people is. You don't have to work with the, the horrible schedules. We've got there. our man Clinton in the audience here, for example. Absolutely, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> he, and, and when, when I just to finish that point, when we met Clinton there, he's got a great YouTube channel that you guys should definitely check out. Um, and I'm sure he'll he'll pimp that out right after the panel. <laughs> but he, he came to us and said, uh, we we came to him and we said, why does your uh, listing say Edmonton? And he said, well. We, I had no idea that there were people doing this in Fort McMurray. So, and it was one. Of, he was one of very many people that said that. So, actually, Arkham Rising sparked uh, the Fort McMurray Filmmakers Association, uh, which we registered this year with uh, uh, Society's Act in Alberta. So we're now officially an association. So, yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty crazy actually, because after Arkham Rising came out, and people found out it was us who did it. Uh, and Fort Mac especially, they all came to us and they're like, we need help, we want to make this film and we don't know how, like, we want to make this film, but we need your help. And we're like, well, why do you need our help? Why don't you guys just do it? And they're like, well, you get stuff done. I guess this is the best way to put it. But yeah, they told us, well, you guys have this popular film that's playing, like, all over the world now. You guys are obviously getting your stuff done and we need your help. So we were like, well, we can't help all... 50 to 100 of you, like, make all your films and stuff. And, and we're also, like, we're really grateful because, like, I mean, um, we, we at the same time we were, we uh, heard of, of course, uh, Mark Meir, who most people here know, like, he did that Red Sands fan film, and it's considered a real legitimate piece of work because it was done at first without the permission of Bioware, who owned the rights to Mass Effect. And as soon as they heard about it, they just they were like, "Right on, we're endorsing this, right?" So, and we we got uh, Ralph Garman's endorsement when he saw it as well. So, yeah, um, yeah. Speaking of endorsements, they're, they're all there. <laughs> yeah, um, it's pretty crazy to see like these like major websites and like this is such a great fan film or one of the best Batman fan films I've ever seen, and I'm, I'm like crying in the corner. <laughs> Plus, also, one thing to consider is that with the good, you're definitely going to get the bad. There's no way that you can please everybody. And uh, it was a little bit of an experience to see how many people were, you know, nitpicking all the little things. They're, like, trying to tell us that we stole other people's ideas or that we uh, did it wrong. Or, But then, in amongst that, it, the majority is, is uh, very, very positive. Yeah, and I mean, and, 
and I mean, I'm not going to say that, you know, that oh, we didn't take ideas uh, in the sense that, like, but it was never malicious. It wasn't like, oh, look at that. Let's take their idea. It was, it was always like, oh, we really like that. Let's do an homage to this scene from this movie yeah. in this in this manner. And I know, like, the biggest feedback we actually got, and it sucked because we felt so bad because uh, I think Steve did really great voice work because he did both the voice of Bane and the Joker's laugh at the end. But that has been like the most highly attacked point of the movie. Uh, in our research, we also found that that was the most highly attacked point in all of yeah, in every in everything that's uh, been even popular. in the Dark Knight Rises itself. Oh, people were criticizing the voice, yeah. the voice. Yeah. Well, let's ask the crowd here. Well, how was this uh, Joker impression? How was the Joker? Be honest. honest. <laughs> I like to see. Bane's very specific, and it's almost a caricature, so you have to, you really have to play and, it off. And we, we took into account, a lot of people, uh, I think, were, were trying to, uh, you know, pinpoint, they wanted us to pinpoint the exact voice from the, the scenes in The Dark Knight Rises, but our point was to try and make it sound as though Bane's voice was coming through a PA system throughout yeah. the entire facility. Yeah, yeah. So it, it kind of, you know, it, it, in trying to make it sound authentic, we kind of, well, I mean, but honestly, like, I think it was good. I, I mean, obviously it's my own work, but I, I, I'm a fan of my own work, so. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, we, we, no, we, we did, like, we, we went through great efforts. We went, like, we went over that voice over and over and over again. So it's not as if it was something that we kind of just, like, on the spot were like, okay, just do it, right? So, yeah. I can't even tell you how many times... I would ask Steve, what do you want for dinner? And they'd reply in the main voice. Like, it was like, every day stuff, like, old, like, old, 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 and honestly, a lot of it went into um, the the music and the sound of what you hear in the movie. Because we shot it with, uh, I shot it with my DSLR, uh, the entire thing, and just a lot of time analyzing how how the um, color correction and, and color grading was in the uh, Nolan movies, and just spending hours just going over and over again how we can make it look and feel as close to that as possible. It was um, that's something that I really want to touch on is um, we did spend a lot of money on the sound um you can have really bad looking video but if your sound is bang on people will still love it like and it, it, i mean if you've got excellent looking video but your sound is bad it really is the, the pivot point, and, and we made a note of that because when when we did the fan film research, when we looked at other fan films, we noticed that like the majority of the ones that were getting the most positive attention were the ones that they may not have looked like the best uh, fan films, but they sounded superb. Yes. Yeah. So that was one point that we really touched on. That is my number one tip for a fan film: if you are going to do it, get your sound. Like, film in general, I would say. There's, I would there's, say no, there's nothing worse than bad idea. Like, have you guys ever watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Like, in the first season of that, like, the idea is so awful. There's one point where Willow is actually talking, but her mouth isn't moving. Like, in one of the scenes, and it's just like, oh, you just get taken out of the whole situation. The, 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 the main point about getting the, the audio right, I think, is the immersion. It, it, that's what happens. It's, uh, it was kind of a revelation for me, uh, and I work in audio uh, professionally, and it was a revelation for me to actually 
watch movies and take note of when people's feet aren't on the screen and you hear those footsteps. And uh, even in uh, like Forrest Gump, that feather floating through the air has sound to it as it floats up and out of the screen. And, and that's all digital effects and everything. And it's just those little cues, those little touches, as much as you can make the brain feel as though everything that they're grasping is real and in the same scene, that psychology is what really propels your work. Can't yeah we can't say enough good things about Wolf Willow Studios like the Foley yeah, that he's done for this film and if, some if more that we got coming up. If, if if any of you guys are making movies, I we highly recommend recommend them and they are pretty flexible for for working with people. In other words, if you tell them what you're willing to spend on on uh, with your budget, they will tell you exactly how far that'll take you. And depending on depending on how you present yourself, I mean, they're willing to, to work with you. Like well, absolutely. Like Wolf Willow actually did. Uh, no, I'm not screw this up. So someone Please correct me. I believe he did the sound work for Bioshock. Uh, no, they they did the sound work for. They had the contract for uh, the Bioware move, uh, Bioware games. But actually, when we when we approached them yeah. for uh, Arkham Rising, they were in the middle of doing the sound for uh, Mass Effect Three. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty cool how he took some time out to actually help us out with our little for Mass Effect Three. Yeah. 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 Well, because he, 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 well, he put that to the side. It's Arkham Rising. We went. He took he took us on a tour. Is he gonna make any money? Well, we, when we arrived to meet him, because we, we looked him up, and and he took me and Totsky on a tour of the facility, and he's showing us all of this like re- it's really impressive facility, and we're sitting there, we're like, oh, we do not have money for this. He, this <laughs> isn't gonna work. For my this is, this is not gonna work. And so we're like, <laughs> we can yeah, okay, that, yeah, okay, we, we, can, we can we can make this work. So he he, he like he he worked with us, and uh, I mean honestly, we're we're kind of like now we're loyal customers to him because we know uh, the the work is really solved from that group. So absolutely. And at the end of the day, just us. That's what it comes down to is if you want to make a successful fan film, you ask, if you see someone who you think fits, might fit apart, you can be like, hey, I'm making this like awesome film about Batman. Do you want to be in it? That's kind of what happened with us. Like, yeah. a few of our guys who were like, so do you like Batman? Well, our Harley Quinn didn't even like Batman. We're just like, hey, you, you, you should be in this. And she's like, uh, okay. And, uh, we actually, uh, it, I hope it's not that visible, but we actually recycled some of our uh, our secondary uh, extras. Yeah. The, the mercenaries and the prisoners are the very same people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we just had them shaved. It's way easier for on location shooting and for time and for, I mean, we didn't pay anybody to act, but yeah. if you have to, I mean, that Whoa. way more visibility. Yeah, food goes a long way, actually. If you're making a movie, feeding feeding your cast and crew will go a long way. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. Uh, we do Q&A before this. Before uh, we, we go into what's next, um, now that you guys have done this, you've been through the whole process, what would you do differently when you approach it for the next project? Go ahead, Gito. I think now that we, uh, sorry, you. <laughs> I think no. now that we we've gone through the process, I think we are a lot less afraid of the legal ramifications. I think we uh, we I touched earlier on the fact that we we wanted to capture as much of an audience with this film as we possibly could, and hopefully translate that into more monetized original films uh, later on. But we had separated it so much that that might have caused a little bit of a wedge. Between, so I think moving uh, forward, or if we were to redo things uh, with the knowledge that we have now, we might be a little bit less skittish on that front. Take some of those precautions, of course, so that like we've got that disclaimer at the beginning and end of the film uh, to kind of uh, save our asses. But I think that we have connected to ourselves a little bit more, own it a little bit more. Yeah, no. Uh, from my standpoint, uh, really, the the way I, lo- I approach all my projects is like just 
don't try to make this, like make it as good as you can, but don't dwell on it. I, I had a project a number of years ago where I, I, it took me two years to finish it because I was so unhappy with the product that I kept going back and, and really like until it was, it wasn't anywhere near where, what I originally intended. So um, essentially the way I approach projects is, okay, cool, we hit this, this roadblock, but let's move around it. Let's figure out what I could have done for the next project and keep moving forward. So what, what, uh, what I took from this project is really um, uh, what, I, what we should have done or what we will do going forward is just film as much as possible. Even if you think the footage is going to be like garbage, just film as much as possible because the, the thing is you don't know how long you're going to have a location for and whether something comes up half good or even, you, you never know, your, your vision could change. Like you could have, oh, well maybe we'll do a voiceover instead of hearing this crappy audio or maybe this blur effect might work in a certain context, right? So And the stuff that you get, like if you go, ArkhamRising.com is the official website. There's a lot more pictures. You, if you go on it, you'll see the Bane that I'm talking about and how atrocious he looks. Harley Quinn files. The, uh, you see a lot of our viral campaign on there too, but uh, we got a lot of uh, B-roll, uh, which we use some of the videos you've seen up there as character files. We used it as that. Like That was not really planned beforehand. We just had a lot of this extra footage. Why not keep making these micro videos? Yeah. Uh, also, a really great bloopers video. Tito does all the editing. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, on the it's on the website as well, so definitely check it out. Makeup stuff too. Like I think I think uh, yes, it's right. The test every every time every time uh, we've going from Arkham Rising for with every project we've done now, we're just like well, it, there's a lot of value in doing the makeup work. Not not just uh, with out of the context of the movie, but also in the sense that it's it's a long process for doing uh, makeup work. Even doing uh, Steve's face as the Joker smile that took maybe half an hour 40, 40 minutes. Yeah, and so just just learn, like I mean, we didn't going into that project, we didn't know what rigid collodion was originally and then uh and then we because we started researching how they did heath ledger scar and basically we learned that rigid collodion is kind of the opposite of liquid latex in that when you put it on your skin it it takes away moisture because it's alcohol based and it makes your skin kind of like suck in and that appearance of scars it's a plastic immersing alcohol so when the alcohol actually like comes away the plastic is left and what it does is it actually for all the indie filmmakers out there, uh, Indie Mogul off YouTube is a tremendous resource. Yeah. Uh, that's where we've uh, we've done a lot of the research for for what I actually did with Arkham and uh, our next film coming up, Cover. Uh, yeah, it's just pretty makeup heavy. Hopefully, we'll all check it out. Uh, you'll see uh, all what Ashley did was amazing work, but it was all a lot of help with the Yeah, and I think uh, for, for cover, the, prosthet the prosthetic process was about an hour, hour and a half per person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you're going to do a makeup heavy film, do your research. YouTube is right there, and it is the most amazing resource that you could ever find in the whole world is YouTube. Another thing that I think that, uh, not that I think that we didn't have it on our side when we uh, were starting to make uh, Arkham and filming it, but uh, one thing that you always look at those things uh, in, in hindsight, you've got that 2020 vision, and one thing that we, we kept uh, hitting our heads on the wall and face palming over was the fact that we were like, we have no Pamela Isaac, we have no Poison Ivy, and yet we had two redheads 
behind the scene on set all day long filming that we could have easily just kept walking around. Yeah, yeah. Wish I was in this film. So just uh, being open uh, with everybody on set, being open to all those new ideas and being fluid with the production. I think yeah, I mean, flexibility on, on on a set is really important because sometimes you plan something and some, something will go wrong in the middle of a shoot and you just gotta you gotta adapt to it. And and that's the, that's been the biggest learning curve for me because I'm very much I will plan months ahead before I will shoot anything and and I have to learn more of that flexibility because you miss opportunities because we, we, we thought about that afterwards like oh shoot we could have had Pamela Isley but we didn't think about it right um, so uh, Arkham Rising oh, hovers around it's 100,000 hits uh, we've screened uh, I want to say all around the world but North America Six, Australia New Zealand um, uh, we screened a lot. It's been absolutely fun. Uh, so shall we reveal what we're going to do next? Well, yeah, exactly. So the, basically, like I said, the biggest... All right, so this is the part in the panel where we revealed our uh, next project, which is really cool. So we gave the people at the Edmonton Expo uh, a kind of a sneak peek that people in Fort Mac don't know about yet. And no, it's not cover. <laughs> it's actually something, something else. And uh, uh, so I'm going to cut it off here. Uh, you're not going to be able to hear uh, or even kind of get a sample of, of what our next project is unless you come to our Film Fear event. Uh, as you heard in the intro, Film Fear is coming October 26, 2013. Um, so, yeah, definitely uh, come there and you will get to see our next project, which is going to be really, really cool. Uh, so Film Fear tickets, uh, they're up at ymmpodcast.com, ymmfma.com. Uh, we partner with the Keanu Theatre and Arts Centre, so it's going to be really fun, October 26th. Come on out, check it out. Uh, now we'll head back into the last uh, few minutes of our panel. Give you a chance. You guys are the first to know, so there you go. <laughs> little Edmonton Expo exclusive. Are there any questions from anyone out there about filmmaking and the process? Uh, what camera specifically did you use? You said it's SLR, which one? Uh, actually, used two. Um, I borrowed a friend's uh, 5D at the time, uh, a Canon 5D, and uh, a 60D uh, that we also shot shot B-roll footage with, and uh, just a bunch of borrowed equipment, essentially. We got a bunch of our friends that are photographers and filmmakers, and we said, hey, can we borrow this for the day, or can we use this just for a couple of hours? And yeah, and... Uh, Essentially, that, that's what it was, just DSLR footage. Um, the, uh, the one thing I will mention is uh, if you're shooting video on DSLR, there's some really great tools. Um, there's a group uh, that makes, I forget what the company's name is, but they make a, a, a plugin or a, it's not a, it's a profile called CineStyle. And it's really great, especially if you're tr- looking to get really good dynamic range in terms of color correcting and grading. What it does is it kind of, it, it softens your image when you're shooting it and then the idea is if it's very soft going into editing then you can kind of process it more and really like really uh, saturate it more without losing the uh, the actual um, consistency of the video itself so use your technology find these cameras 5Ds 60s full frame sensors uh, h4n zooms yeah yeah they're getting cheaper and cheaper too so yeah all these this equipment you can score for under 2 grand but if you want to rent it you can rent it for a day for about 150 bucks yeah. Uh, for microphones, you said audio was a really big, important thing for it. Did you use an on-top uh, top mic? Did you guys use lavaliers, shotguns? Actually, uh, like I said, the, the, we went with Willow Studios because we actually consciously did not go for the uh, go for sound while we were shooting. We, we, we shot it all kind of open because our, our, our thought at the time was, well, we're, it's going to be score heavy and we're going to record the audio with Vane after the fact. Now again, hindsight is twenty twenty. We should have done it because honestly we probably could have 
because uh, the big thing with Wolf Willow, uh, they told us uh, was, well, we've got to record everything from scratch because you didn't get us give us any audio of footsteps. So everything that you hear, like uh, doors opening, footsteps, like all those little subtle typing, Hopefully. like that's all them doing it as a, as a post-process. So capture audio first. Yes, exactly. <laughs> capture, <laughs> like I said, audio is important. So. Capture audio yeah. first. It's so much easier to sound sync that way too. Like if you've got something, like a profile there, even if you are going to ADR or anything, it's have that little sound profile in the background so the footsteps so that they can be easily matched up in ADR afterwards. Otherwise, it's a For sure. Now, as far as fan folds are concerned, uh, this was uh, more of a gateway to get you guys into making your original content. Mm -hmm. Is it uh, superhero movies, a genre you guys want to follow in? Actually, um, I personally am a fan of uh, both superhero movies and horror. So, as I said, uh, the, what, we're, what we're releasing uh, in October is going to be a film that we worked on earlier this year called Cover. And it's uh, about a 15-minute uh, horror movie short, which is... Yeah, it's, I'm a big fan of uh, horror movies, especially um, uh, Sam Raimi's movies as a director. So the movie's kind of like uh, a big tip of the hat to uh, Sam Raimi's uh, Evil Dead, as well as other kind of like 80s, uh, over-the-top campy horror movies. And a lot of the shots, uh, the Michael Mann-style shots that you see, <laughs> the slow, low crawls. Uh, so, yeah, was that a conscious decision when you guys were making The Dark Knight to make it look and feel a lot like the films? Yeah, and, and, the, yeah, and a lot of the concept behind that is actually behind, uh, the fact that it was a small space and the, whole, the real way to make something small look larger is to move your camera. If you move your camera, there's a sense of the scope is becoming larger. So the idea was, okay, let's... let's start really tight and pull off so that way we're building the room. Even though it's a small room, subconsciously the viewer is saying, okay, this is getting larger and, and the scope gets bigger with it, right? So, and, and I mean, I, I guess my biggest advice for anyone that's, that's shooting is um, don't just shoot for style. I, 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 know, I notice that in a lot of movies where there's shots and they're not necessarily needed to tell the story. It's, they look awesome, but they're not needed for, for the story. And my opinion is just, you know, it, 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 shoot for what the scene is calling for. Like, don't, don't overdo it or add style where it's not really necessary because it really ruins the pace of a movie. We're getting the time. We're getting the time. Uh, guys, thank you so much for coming out tonight. Um, we'll get one more time to you guys uh, say goodbye. Once again, starting from my left. Uh, Tito Gillen. Tosky. Ashley Martin. You can find them all at ymanpodcast.com. Anywhere else they can find you, Twitter, anywhere else. Everywhere. Ymanpodcast.com. Just search it on the internet. <laughs> and I'm sure if you guys have any questions or follow up with them, you're free to talk to them as well. If you want to find me, I'm at Achilles at Awfulcast. Thank you so much for joining our panel today. Hope you guys stick around and enjoy the con and see more of us at uh, Round. Cheers. Thanks for coming. YMN Podcast is a T-Man Entertainment production. In association with Hyperphotonic Media. Find us at hyperphotonicmedia.com. Oh, fuck.